Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast, episode 69. Join your hosts, Kyle Murch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk about, I mean, as we bring you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Ha! So, on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about college basketball, the XFL, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Who's Pissed Off? Mike, stupid rules, and write that down predictions. Did I mention this is episode 69? That you means did. it's time to party. Nice. You did, so there, you did yeah. mention that after screwing it up in our first take of that intro. You, you this is the second, second, second time in the entire podcast history where we've had to retake an intro. What I was think. the first time? I do remember there was another time we had to retake something, but why was that? I messed it up really bad or something. It was, it was horrible. Like, he... he <laughs> Had so many words that he stumbled over <laughs> that he might as well have just run through the entire set of hurdles in a hundred meter hurdles race. Oh, that would be fun. No, it hurt. That I hurts that, a lot. I did that. that on a, I did that elementary school track and field day, right? Because okay. the hurdles weren't real hurdles; they were just like cones with like like thin PVC stuck in them, right? So I just uh, discovered that it was faster to just run through them instead of hurdle them, and I won. But then they said. Well, you, they disqualified me because I didn't try to jump over the hurdles. That's not a rule. There's no rule that says you have to jump over the hurdles, but I got disqualified anyway. That's a stupid upset. rule. Fifth grade me was very upset about that Mike rule. and his stupid rules. Fifth grade <laughs> me was very upset about that ruling. As, as you can tell, what, however many years later, 11, 12 years later, I'm still still complaining about it, so... Still remember, I still wanted that blue star for winning. Clearly. I got a white one for getting DQ'd instead. <laughs> Very good. Do you know what is something that we all would like to just forget about and get out of our minds and memory right now? This Minnesota only attempted two field goals in the second half against Iowa. Yeah, well, this is an Iowa State-based podcast, so we don't care about the Golden Gophers. We hate Iowa. Well, we do hate Iowa. Based. Technically, we're a Midwestern-based sports podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah, Stick with the brand. What are, we are rooted in Iowa State sports. So. True, true fact. Cyclone Nation represent. Cyclone Nation. But Cyclone Nation, uh, Cyclone basketball hasn't really been a good representation of Cyclone Nation this year. Although, one thing that I would like to point out is Oklahoma is a somewhat of a decent basketball team. Iowa State did play Oklahoma and Norman this past week. That's why I'm talking about this. But there was literally no one at the Oklahoma game. They, I, I would have been shocked if they had even sold 1,000 tickets to that game. I mean, they probably did sell 1,000 tickets, but 1,000 people pretty much, like, it wasn't even 1,000 people in the stands. It was horrible. But the Cyclones played abysmally on the court. Like, it was just lackluster. They were actually decent in the first half. But then in the second half, the story was literally just turnovers. They turned the ball over pretty much every other possession, couldn't get any offense going at all, looked horrible. They honestly looked like a high school basketball team trying to play in a Power 5 conference. That's what it looked like. And it wasn't great. Uh, Nobody really had good production in that game, and it was really showing how uh, this team was missing Tyrese Halliburton and a competent ball handler because nor neither Prentice Nixon or Regier Bolton, who was playing out of control the entire game, trying to force the issue way too many times, 
just kept they should have just handed the ball over to Oklahoma and just let them score, which led to a 29 point loss in Norman. But Leggett says in the outline, like I wrote down, because I wrote this outline this week, hence the reason why some of this might be, you know, a little bit up in the air. Uh, it was a tale of two games this week, as, like I said, they lost 29 points to OU, but they stuck it to the Texas Longhorns and beat them by 29 points. Hashtag horns down. Horns down. Uh, it was a great game, but really the reason why the Cyclones won is because Texas was severely undermanned. Uh, in this game, they were without three of their uh, key players and uh, their point guard, their starting point guard, lo- are left with like 12 to 13 minutes left in the second half, um, and they were without their best defender in Jackson Hayes. So the game plan from the start was pound the ball inside into the post. Started with a quick eight points by Solomon Young uh, in the game, and then Michael Jacobson had uh, pretty much a career game, at least uh, a career like a game the best game of the season so far for him, 21 points with 13 rebounds. Um, and he played phenomenally and it was just get the ball inside and everything kind of clicked from there. Uh, the Cyclones wound up playing pretty solid defense against Texas. Um, and it looked like this team started to build a little bit of confidence as this game went on there. They looked more confident in the shots they were taking. Uh, and they just overall looked, um, better in that second half way better than they did against OU um so and you know it was their day when you put in Eric Steyer as well as um um blanking on the the other kid's name the reserves who don't play much and they hit a step back three and a drive and a pull up and sink them both uh so step back three was a terrible looking shot but it went in it was a horrible looking shot, but it it went in. It uh, if it goes through the hoop, it's good. But you know it's your day when those shots are falling for you. Uh, the the Cyclones had their highest offensive uh, field goal percentage of the season against this Texas team, so it was it was a good day. We'll see how they fare this week, though. Um, the road gets tough. As once this podcast airs, they will have already played Kansas. Uh, they they're playing Kansas on Big Monday uh, in Lawrence, so that should be a, an interesting game. Probably lopsided. Kansas is favored to win by sixteen and a half. I'll probably take the over on that. Um, you, you don't you don't take an over under on a line. You you take a team. You take an over under on an over under. I'll just take the team. You'll take KU. Yeah, I'm gonna take and KU. sixteen. You'll take you'll take KU and give the sixteen and a half. Yeah, that's the correct phrasing. Yeah, there we go. And then they play uh, Texas Tech on Saturday uh, to end the week at home, though. So uh, that does give them a slight chance, I would say. Um, but Texas Tech has been in it, bouncing in and out of the rankings all season. They're going to be a uh, NCAA tournament team. For sure, but eh, I wouldn't say for sure. Probably maybe not for sure. Most we, likely, we, we could we could deal them a nice blow if we were to. Uh, that would help. Accidentally but, beat them. But the the mindset of this Cyclones team, and it came out uh, after the game. Michael Jacobson uh, said that 
they are looking at the standings right now and they are playing for the sixth seed in the Big 12. And what does that sixth seed get you? Uh, you all might wonder. Uh, when you look ahead to the Big 12 tournament, the bottom four uh, teams in the Big 12 in the final standings have to play on the first night of the Big 12 championship. And that is a uh, it's either a Wednesday night game or a Thursday night game. Uh, but those teams play essentially play in to the Big 12, the rest of the Big 12 tournament. So it is the hope for uh, this team that they land that sixth seed uh, in the tournament and stay out of that play-in game. That sixth seed would mean that they would get to play the three seed uh, in the second yes. round. Just for reference, because you know we're talking about seeds, um, Baylor and KU are going to be the one and two, and it's not even close. They're four games clear of everybody out. K KU is uh, eleven and one, four games clear of Texas Tech at seven and five. But so yeah, Texas Tech at seven and five is the three. Then your four and five are tied West Virginia and Oklahoma at six and six. TCU is your six seed at five and seven, and then you have Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Uh, Iowa, State, Iowa State and Texas, Texas. Sorry, I apologize. At four and eight, there's the seven and eight seeds right now. So that uh, that six seed is definitely very much within reach, and it would look very, very, uh, very, very accomplishable had they not blown that late lead to TCU. Yep. And if they have the that, thing, then they're a game clear of TCU right now yeah. for that six seed. And the thing that helps with Iowa State though is they get Texas Tech at home. They get TCU at home. That's when they, you got to win if you're going to be the sixth seed. Exactly. And then they have a, uh, a I would call them floundering Oklahoma State team on the road. They you get West Virginia at home, which helps. And then they play on the road at K-State, which is a bad K-State team. K-State's bad, too. But it is... It, in recent history, it's been hard to win at Bramlage Coliseum in Manhattan, so it'll be interesting to see if the team can go down there and win. And but just, that's looking really far about. ahead. Right now, we got to take it one game at a time. Uh, we'll see how we'll see what happens against Kansas. I think this will be a team building game. Can they just get out of there with some sort of hope? And can they some, can they not be embarrassed? That's pretty yeah. much the pretty much the. Can they get out of there and say we battled in this game and kept the game within reach? Um, don't let it be a blowout where you lose by 29 points again. Um, we don't want to see that. But then gain every, some momentum every going game, to play Texas Every game Texas. the rest of the year decided by 29 points, one way or the other. That's what I want. Just great basketball when they decided by 29 points, right? Yep. Nothing more I want than a lost season, than no more good games the rest of the year. Can't think of anything better. Sounds like great basketball. Sounds like a great game plan. Maybe we should call up Coach Prome. Tell him our game plan. He'll love it. Only 29-point decisions. Perfect idea. Perfect. And then we can go and bet on that. Clever. Yeah, very clever. I can't. There's no sports betting in Minnesota yet. There is an Iowa. You can go do it, Wyatt. There is an Indiana, too, I believe. True fact. Yeah. But I guess talking about sports betting is a pretty good segue into week two of the XFL. Because that is sports betting and talking about the lines is something that they can actually do from the broadcast booth, um, which Pat McAfee is obviously a big fan of. Um, Hashtag for the brand. Go Pat McAfee. Um, He was once again on the sidelines this week, tearing it up, doing some great 
or actually he wasn't. Never mind. He was in Hawaii. Uh, he will be back uh, the or next week. Um, but this week, there was one really really good game uh, that was back and forth. Uh, it was against the St. Louis Battlehawks and the Houston Roughnecks. Um, the entire game, like I said, uh, back and forth between the two came down to a late drive by the Houston Roughnecks to end up winning that game 28-24 to over the Battlehawks. Houston improves to 2-0 on the season. The other undefeated team uh, in the league is the D.C. Defenders, led by Cardell Jones. Uh, they dominated the New York Guardians. Um, and if you were to see some of the highlights on Twitter from this game, there was an interview uh, with the sideline reporter and the New York Guardians quarterback going into halftime. They asked the quarterback, what do you need to do to get back into this game? The quarterback basically just flat out said, we need to change everything. The game plan sucks. And then went into the tunnel. After halftime, the uh, sideline reporter interviewed the uh, the offensive coordinator, told him what uh, the quarterback said. And the coordinator was like, I don't know what his problem is. Maybe he needs to make some plays. So a little bit of tension, a little bit of controversy. Then the quarterback got benched. Uh, that's that's the XFL for you. Great sideline reporting. Uh, up in Seattle, uh, the Seattle Dragons played the Tampa Bay Tampa Bay Vipers. Uh, Seattle won that game with a score of seventeen to nine, a classic football score. Uh, and then the final uh, game of the weekend was between the Dallas Renegades and the LA Wildcats. Dallas ended up winning that game 25 to 18 as the Oklahoma connection between Bob Stoops and Landry Jones was reincarnated. Moving on, uh, I wanted to, as I've been, um, or as I did last week, I talked about uh, introducing some rules that the XFL has implemented this week. I'm going to talk about punting. Shout out to Pat McAfee. He'd love me talking about this. So the XFL punting rule, uh, the punting team cannot release past the line of scrimmage until the ball is kicked. Uh, so then once the ball is kicked, the punting team can finally go down. That includes the gunners and all the blockers. Uh, the gunners must line up on the line of scrimmage. They can't line up behind the line of scrimmage and are permitted to move laterally uh, once the ball is uh, snapped until it is kicked. So they can move basically from like laterally like towards the sideline or towards towards the uh, O-line before the ball is kicked and then they can run down the field. If the ball goes out of bounds inside the 34 yard or 35 yard line it is a major touchback and the ball goes to the 35 yard line once again an incentive not to kick the ball in play uh, for more returns. If the punted ball lands in the opponent's end zone or goes out of the back of the end zone, the result is a major touchback and the ball goes out to the 35-yard line. So no matter what, in punting scenarios, you get the ball in the 35-yard line. Fair catches are permitted. However, it is de-incentivized, and I will get into that right now. Um, so a lot of what the XFL saw is that 47% of punts ended in either a fair catch, an out-of-bounds play, or an out-of-bounds kick or a touchback. The XFL rule was or has instituted the two rule changes to address these concerns. All balls kicked out-of-bounds create a touchback, and no punt coverage players can release until the ball is kicked. Therefore, this creates uh, an 11-yard separation uh, between the nearest defender and the uh, return man. 
uh, versus an average of six yards uh, in the NFL, this thus creating uh, less of a reason uh, to fair catch in the XFL. So them's the rules. You have been learned up good in XFL rules there. Very good. I mean, the only thing that's cool about X, the only thing that's going to be interesting about XFL rules going forward is which one of them the NFL, which ones of them the NFL adopts. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. Because they should. There are some of these that they probably should adopt, and they probably will once the XFL inevitably folds eventually, hopefully nah. before the end of this season. So I could just write that down prediction on. Nah, you're just a hater. I you think like, they will go longer than the AAF, though. Oh, 100%. yes, for sure. They have funding. Yeah. And they have people shotgunning Bud Light seltzers. And TV deals. Those kind of matter, too. Yeah, is. That's, that's also true. So You remember when we watched, like, that one AF, uh, what was it called? The AAF game in our apartment? We watched, like, one of them. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, the, I loved the, it. The, that tracking technology they had was really cool. That was yeah. very cool. And you can see the plays form on your phone. And you can, like, bet on what play they're going to, like, it's going to be a run play. It's going to be a pass play. Mm-hmm. Left, right, up the middle. I was like, oh, man, that's kind of cool. And then Tom Dundon took that idea from the AAF and pulled all his money out and then tried to create another sports betting app out of it. But anyway, that's besides the point. Don't like that, man. He owns the, what's that, a hockey team, the Hurricanes? The, one, the Hurricanes are in Carolina. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think he owns them. Anyway, I don't like him. Tom, I think his name's Tom, Tom Dundon. It doesn't matter. Do you know who? Do you know who else is not very well liked at the moment? Uh, the commissioner of the MLB. MLB commissioner Rob Man. Should I should I just segment into that's, why I'm that, pissed that, off? That, yes, that's what I was going to have you do there because that was a good transition. Perfect, because he made a comment this this week, and this all stems to. The Houston Astros, because of course, like that's that's what all this heat is about. Let me just read like what he what he's quoted saying in his statement, and I'll get into why I'm upset. And I quote the idea of an asterisk or asking for a piece of metal, piece of metal back for uh, back seems like a futile act. People will always know that something was different about the 2017 season, and whether we made that decision right or wrong, we undertook a thorough investigation and had the intestinal fortitude to share the results of that investigation, even when those results were not very pretty. Okay, Manfred, um, so you just... you you. You basically boiled a winning a world World Series championship down to a piece of metal. I don't think if you ask the 2015 Royals, the 2016 Chicago Cubs, the 2019 Washington Nationals, that all that what like all winning the World Series meant to them was just getting a piece of metal. That that's not what it boils down to. And to have like to have the audacity to not do not really take any action against the Houston Astros at all just boggles my mind and I it is my personal opinion that he should be fired or relieved as, of his duties as the commissioner of Major League Baseball and like one of the things that I came across was uh, in recent history the Atlanta Braves illegally paid prospects more money and got a three-year IFA ban 
and a loss of a draft pick, and the GM was banned from baseball for life, the Astros used video to know literally what pitches were coming their way and for at least three years, and all they lose is draft picks for two years. Absolute joke of a penalty, in my opinion. I think Manfred should be relieved of his duties, and that's why I'm pissed off. Winning a World Series doesn't boil down to just a piece of metal. Stupid remarks from a horrible commissioner. Get him out of the office. So th- we're going to just keep going in the long order because that transitions into my I have a, I have a piping hot Manfred take right here, right? And it's probably the exact – it's very much the exact opposite of what either of you two want to hear. First of all, there's no way he gets fired, right? I don't know the exact – I used to know the wording of the MLB charter slash constitution, whatever it's called – about how you could fire an owner, but I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. Anyway, there's no way he's pissed off enough owners that he is going to get fired. So you can just put that behind you right now. There's no way he gets fired. But first of all, because, right, he went light on the owner, right? That makes other owners happy. If my team does something illegal, sure, my team might get punished, but I won't, right? Owners generally like it when they don't very much get punished. But here's the real reason, right? The MLB collective bargaining agreement expires at the end of the 2021 season. So not after this year, but next season. Or maybe not at the end of the season, but sometime in the uh, sometime in 2021, the MLB uh, collective bargaining agreement expires, right? Manfred has shown that he doesn't necessarily care that much about baseball as a whole, right? He is willing to put this sport through a long labor stoppage if that's what needed to be to break these players. The MLB Players Association is the most powerful players union in professional sports. And he is going to be willing to put this through a year or or more labor stoppage after this collective bargaining agreement to break that players union down a little bit. And the owners hired him for that reason. He's going to stay on for that reason. And I sure as heck hope it doesn't happen because I have no idea what I would do with my life for an entire summer without baseball. But that's that's my take on why there's absolutely no chance he gets fired. I guess you're going to have to find a hobby like whittling with some wood. Uh, yeah. A summer without baseball would be completely and totally depressing and I would die and it would suck. So... Uh, some, can we, uh, segment into a topic that I would like to debate? I mean, if you want to, that I want to propose. So, um, like bet the bases just came out with, uh, I think almost a joke of what you can bet on right now, but it's the number of Houston batters who will be hit by a pitch in the regular season. They set the over under at 83 and a half. Um, (laughs) So that's like once every other game. Yeah, uh, which I think is hilarious. But at some point in this season, I for, I foresee Manfred coming out with some statement that said, that protects Houston batters. But he already has. He said players who hit Houston batters will be severely punished. Which yeah. he's he's going to have a riot on his hands if he goes and suspends somebody 
Like, pick the Angels opening day. I hope whoever the Angels opening day starter is throws a fastball right at the hip of the first Astros back. Oh, if if you Darvish, if you Darvish ever uh, pitches against the Houston Astros this season, he was already recorded on camera saying he's throwing at them first pitch of the game. Yeah. It's happening, whether you like it or not. Uh, Whit Merrifield already in a statement this season, second baseman slash outfielder for the Royals, already says that he has no respect for these players at all. Like, this is the topic that I want to debate. If if these uh, this core group of hitters for the Astros, I'm talking Altuve, Correa, Bregman, um, Springer, uh, Gurriel, if they don't finish their career in Houston, will they ever be accepted onto another team? Like, will they be out of a job, in your opinion, or do you think will there like if they do get brought on to another team, will there be so much hostility in the dugout that they will almost be forced out of a job? Nah. Well, I think I mean I, I tend to agree with Wyatt that I think the answer to that question is no. But right, you're gonna have an interesting experiment of it because right, think about Marlon Gonzalez on the twins this year, right? Mm-hmm. He was an Astro in twenty seventeen. There's numbers that show that um, he benefited extremely from this sign stealing, right? His yeah. swinging strike rate, right, or his uh, percentage of pitches out of the zone that he swung at was at like 33% in 2016, and it dipped down to like 18% during that 2017 season. And then it slowly risen back up to 30% last year with the Twins. Like, how, how do you suddenly get really, really good at not swinging at balls? You know what pitches get, are and coming. Then, and then get bad at, right? So um, mm-hmm. the numbers are really obvious for Marlon Gonzalez that he cheated, right? I think I, so think I, is, I, what, I either what, sent you something on Marwin Gonzalez. It was either him or like Carlos Correa or Gurriel or something like that. Because those are those are three batters that used to used to or still do play for the Astros who all have a tendency to swing at pitches outside of the strike zone. Mm-hmm. I don't I didn't send it to you recently. I think I sent it to you like maybe a year or two ago when there was suspicion that that was happening. But it in my opinion, I think I think that yes, some players might not finish out their career in Houston and play with other teams, but I, I think they will never be fully accepted. I don't think they'll be out of a job. I just think that they won't be part of the camaraderie of a baseball clubhouse. They'll always be kind of ostracized off to the side, knowing what they did, especially with some of these players speaking out about it. Names like Mike Trout, Whit Merrifield, um, some of the players who are starting to build like a, um, a persona for them, especially Mike Trout being one of the faces of Major League Baseball right now. Um, but I, in my opinion, I think most of these players are going to try to end their career in Houston so that they don't have to go through that, at least. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I mean, if, if players can um, do things that are actually illegal, be be prosecuted and get back into the league and not face really any repercussions. I feel like sign stealing isn't going to be a, a huge barrier for them in the rest of their career. I mean, plus you've got, right, 
you've got people like steroid suspensions, right? They yeah. go back and Same play thing. and don't usually have locker room issues, right? So it's it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on this year for sure. And I think the Twins are going to be the locker room to keep an eye on when it comes to that, just because they've got the best example of it right now. But I don't think it's going to be a major problem long term. But we'll see. Keep yeah, an eye on the see. Twins locker room for that. And, you know, I'll be yeah, all I mean, over it the could, Twins locker room this it year. It could be an interesting topic to, like, follow along with and see if that were to happen, especially, like, as the trade deadline were to come up this year. Uh, if any of those players were to get traded, depending on where the Astros are. Um, and I don't know if, if you have uh, like, I'd like for our listeners to let us know what you're picking. Are you picking the over or are you picking the under on 83 and a half pegged batters this year? Oh man, uh, I'm going over. I'm picking I'm the picking over on the that. Over. I got to look at, I got to pit. I got to look at what the average I don't um, care what the average is. I'm the average I don't care what a, the average is. They're yeah. gonna, it's gonna surpass the average this year. Um, uh, I don't think it'll. I don't think it'll surpass it, but I think it'll be. I think it will. I'll take the overall. I'll say it's gonna be less than a hundred. Yes, 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 Google. I know what a hit by pitch is. <laughs> I, I mean, I will also take the on like less than a hundred, but I'm taking the over on eighty-three and a half. I mean, I'm definitely probably taking the over on that. Too, but we'll see. We will see. Um, let's see. Single season. No, not what I'm looking for. Anyway, sorry. We'll find this. I'll, fi- I'll find it before the end of the episode. Except I kind of got to do the rest of these segments here, so maybe I won't find it. We'll find it eventually. What the average number of hit by pitch in a season is. But, but. I mean, I've talked a lot so far. So, do you want to fill us in on some of the uh, new rules that are being implemented? Uh, for the MLB in the 2020 season, Mike? Yeah, I will uh, will fill you in on those. Um, so a lot of these we've talked about previously because um, commissioner, uh, because the commissioner right, came out with these that said he was going to do these a long time ago. Um, they were just finalized. So some of those include um, the roster expanding to 26 players. That is uh, now official. There will be a 26-man roster this year. There is also a limit of 13 pitchers on your roster. You cannot have more than 13 pitchers on your roster. Because of this, they had to define who is and isn't a pitcher and what a two-way player is. So I believe the official definition of a two-way player is has to be somebody who either in 2018, 2019, or this year had at least 20 starts in the field, slash DH, and also pitched in 10 games, I believe is the definition. Something like that. The numbers are close to that. So that um, covers players like Shohei Otani. So he does not count against the Angels' um, 13-pitcher limit. Even on the days where he pitches, he does not count against that pitcher limit. Um other rules, the only other one that really affects gameplay is that um, there is now a three-batter minimum that pitchers have to face. You either have to face three batters or end an inning. Um, I don't like that rule because it changes the game of baseball for only a marginal increase in pace of play, so I'm not necessarily a fan of it because of that. But, I mean, it is what it is. It's a rule. It's going to and- move forward. And you're gonna you're gonna see players who could potentially like 
have themselves like get ejected just to get out yeah. of it. I was going to say, or, can you just get tossed? You, or if you get fake an injury to get out of an inning, right? Because there is no rule set that says if you come out of the game for an injury, you have to go on the injured list. Correct. So. Yeah. I agree that uh, those things will probably will probably happen. Um, other interesting note, um, there will now be separate injured lists for pitchers and position players. The position player injured list will stay at 10 days, just like it was these last couple of years. The injured list for pitchers, the minimum, is now going to be 15 days. That's to sort of prevent teams just putting pitchers on the injured list that maybe really aren't hurt, but they want to bring up another pitcher because the guy's tired, things like that. So they're extending it just for pitchers to 15 days on the injured list, as well as the number of days a pitcher needs to be in the minor leagues until he can be recalled, barring injury. If somebody goes on the injured list... You can come up no matter what. But, and if you think about that for starting pitchers, that's a, roughly the equivalent of three starts. Right. Right. Important. On the old 10-day, right, you could make it so you really only missed one turn in the rotation. Yep. When it's 15 days, you're missing at least two, if not three, depending on how it works out. Um, last interesting rule is that um, September call-ups are going to be limited to 28 players instead of the 40 that it has been in the past. So... Those are your new rules. Also, um, the they changed pace of play for reviews. Managers now only have 20 seconds to challenge rather than 30. So Yes. Yeah, so there's that. Also, going back to our uh, hit-by-pitch discussion, I am definitely taking the over because they were just – I mean, since the Mets, Cincinnati, and Oakland got hit more times than that last year just anyway, right, with nothing particularly against them. So yes, we were going. Cincinnati had how many huge last year though? How many uh, games normally happens in a in a in a baseball season? 162. 162. Jinx. Yeah. So the Mets got hit so, 95 times last year. The average um, across the whole board for 2019 was 65.77. Yeah, but the Mets got hit 95 times. Yeah, last I, was, so, I was just I was letting you know the average. I had to calculate it out because there isn't actually a stat out there for it. So yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So they're going to get hit. I mean, even the team that got hit the least was Colorado got hit yep. 43 times last year. 43, 44 times. So, there. so yeah, it, they're, they're going to get there. They're very much going to get there. Anyway. You like rules. I and like you just rules. talked about a bunch. Do you want to focus on another one? Yes. This rule was incredibly interesting to me. I just – I don't know if I want to say found out about this rule because, like, I knew it, but I didn't really get why it mattered. Did you you rediscover it? Is that, like, a good way to put it? because I never really got why it mattered. You figured out the implementation. I don't know. So we're going to talk about jump balls in college basketball, right? So, you know – in college basketball, right, there's a possession arrow, right? So whoever wins the tip at the beginning of the game, the other team gets the possession arrow. And then at the jump ball, right, at the next jump ball, right, that team gets the ball and uh, after the jump ball. And then that arrow just switched back and forth the entire game, also being used to decide who gets the ball to start the second half. Now, 
something that I'd always noticed, and it was, I just thought it was just sort of a fluke, is normally you won't see the possession arrow like on TV if you're watching. Normally they'll indicate where it is. You won't see that possession arrow change until after the ball has been inbounded. That is because that's actually the official rule. The possession arrow doesn't actually change until the ball has been inbounded because it's the other team officially hasn't had the possession. So how this came into play in the Minnesota versus Iowa game is there was a jump ball, right? And then Iowa had the possession arrow, so they were inbounding the ball. Luca Garza got called for a moving screen before the ball was inbounded, right? And so I, right, I assumed that meant, you know, that was their possession with the arrow. And then halftime came, and I just remarked to the person I was at the game with that, oh, Minnesota will get the ball to start the second half. And then they come on the PA and says, I will get the ball to start the second half because the moving screen occurred before the ball was inbounded. The possession arrow didn't change, which I was huh. like, whoa, I didn't mm. know. Like I knew that, but I didn't. Huh. Wow. That was, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just a that's wow moment about. for me. Actually, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. That was a really interesting rule to me. The possession arrow doesn't actually change until that ball gets inbounded. Huh. That's actually not a stupid rule. It's I guess nifty. I guess I noticed that from my days yeah. of actually playing basketball, yeah. but I never, yeah, but really never thought about the implication of that rule. Yeah. Exactly. Like exactly. I would always notice that on a change of possession when we were inbounding the ball, I was like, "Oh, they haven't changed it over yet." But then when I looked over after our possession, they had changed it over. Mm-hmm. I was oh, I just thought, "Oh, wow, they're slow at their job maybe." Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> huh. that's interesting. That's yeah. huh. that cool. A, Thanks that for that, really Mike. Yeah, yeah, we that appreciate really that. Cool. That was enlightening. Very enlightening. So, do we have anything to take off the board for our write that down prediction segment as we move on into our accountability session? I don't know. I don't think so. Kyle put the outline together, as you mentioned earlier, and he didn't put anything down there. I'm just going to trust him. We'll find I left out. that as your job. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh boy! Uh, somebody stall for four. Somebody I asked you women top three in the league. That's not that hasn't come true yet. Tom Brady. <laughs> no. Uh, Alex Corbin for nope. Gophers nope. Uh, can we take Iowa State top half men's and women's? No, because uh, right Technic- we just went over this. We just went through the standings. So oh, I yeah, just, I guess that's true. They're not. I mean, they're not gonna finish in the top five, but they're. Only two games out of it. Very much still in in play. So no. Plus the women probably will finish in the top five. Um, we can't take Wyatt's Cyclones to the to the round of 32 out because technically if the Cyclones win the Big 12 tournament, they're yeah. an automatic bid. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think you are correct that nothing came off the board. So nothing in our what a fluke. session. I think you got lucky on that one. I think Kyle did. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than it is to be good. That's my line. I I will give Mike the credit for that quote. Thank you. Sometimes it is better to be lucky than good. So who wants to kick us off with uh, putting more stuff up on the board? I mean, Kyle has to because those are the rules. Yeah, but I had to say that just because. Maybe maybe I'll finally be lucky because I'm really bad at this. But – uh, Philip Rivers will play for the Indianapolis Colts next season. Um, what, is, what is Jacoby Brissett's contract status? Uh, I think he got three years, and that was at the beginning of last season. 
Uh, let's look it up quick, just because, right? Just because that definitely matters because you yeah, know, it's a salary cap league. Yeah. So Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, September second, twenty nineteen. He got a two year, thirty million dollar deal. Oh, okay. So he still has one year left on that deal. One year, fifteen million. Um, yeah, he'll get paid about. Doing the math, he'll get paid about fifteen million next year because the signing bonus is twenty million. Presuming they prorated that. Um, yeah, it'll be about fifteen million next year. Uh, double. Sure. I, I mean, well, I, don't, I don't know. Hazel I'll take whatever agrees, you say. Hazel agrees with that double. She barked in, she barked in approval. So we're going to give you a double for that, Kyle. Okay. Uh, I'm fine with that. What do you got, Mike? Um, that's a great question. I knew there was something I was forgetting during this whole thing. Can I just make another prediction about 2028 and call it good? 2028? Like, where are you going to keep that? Do we have a spreadsheet out for that? No, we don't. Oh, wow. I know this sounds morbid, but what are the odds that one of the three of us doesn't make it to the year 2028? Okay, I mean, can, can you mute Kyle for the rest of the episode after that comment? I would, say, I would say relatively unlikely, but, I mean, you never know. I mean, one of us was recently in the hospital. So. Hey, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Which, <laughs> you... you We'll talk later about that. We haven't told you about that yet. It, it was a car wreck. It wasn't anything that bad. Well, that, sound, that makes it sound worse. I didn't get admitted, so it's, it's fine. Well, that's good. And also, thank you for giving me enough time stalling to come up with my prediction. My prediction is that only one AL East team will make the playoffs this year. Is that no? I can't make that prediction. That's too far away, right? Because that'll end before I, mean, I can't make. If you that. want to put it on next, no, I can't. Okay. I can't make that prediction. It ends too late. Um, That's fine. I mean, I appreciate you stalling. So I'm also trying to find a, a prediction to write down because I'm uh, bad. And also forgot. It's like we'll make an NCAA tournament prediction instead. All right, here we go. None of Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, or North Carolina will make the Elite Eight. Zero of the. <laughs> Uh, one of Home those run. is already out because North Carolina is literally the worst team in the ACC. Yes. Um, none cool. of Duke, Final Four, not Elite Eight. Sorry. None of Duke, Kansas, no. or what? Duke, Kentucky. None of we Duke, North Kansas, Carolina. Or Kentucky. None of. Don't even put North Carolina on the spreadsheet. That's a waste of words. Because they suck this year. Yes, I said that on the podcast. Um, we'll make the Final Four. Final Four. Uh, are there odds on like for each team? Uh, I usually don't see them until the tournament comes out. Is when once the bracket uh, until out, the rankings are out. Yeah, the bracket. The bracket. Yeah, that's usually when uh, triple. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Because right now, as it's shaking out, KU will probably be a one seed. They'll get a good bracket location. Duke will probably get a two seed. They're a bubble one. Kentucky is probably a three or a four. 
So in the latest, um, we're going to put up USA Today Bracketology because that's the one I happen to have up on my computer. Um, Did I get had, them all right? You had Kansas at a one, Kentucky at a four, and Duke at a two. Yeah, that's what I said. So, hey, pretty good by me. I could be a bracketologist. Call me Joe Lenardi, but better because <laughs> Lenardi sucks. <laughs> Shout out to ESPN for hiring a horrible bracketologist. I'll give you a triple. All right, I'll take that. What says you, Wyatt? I'm going to say that the Dallas Renegades are going to win the XFL West Division. Is that a... Okay, Is that the same one that St. Louis is in? Because... No, St. Louis is in the East. The Dallas Renegades... The Dallas Renegades are third in the West right now with one win, one loss. Yeah. And how many weeks are in the XFL? Eight. Right? Eight, I think. Eight weeks. So you basically play everybody and then one team twice? Yeah, for the championship. Right? For the championship no. of the division? Oh, wait. How does that work? How does it work? Yeah, you got to look at Wait, this. no, there's, yeah, there's eight. There's what? ten weeks. What? Well, including the playoffs, yeah. No, 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 ten weeks before the playoffs. What? Yeah. Okay. So you play each team in your division twice, and then every team in the other division once. Yep. Okay. Presumably. I don't know for sure. So, so Dallas will win the West. The XFL West. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, Double. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I can't talk no. myself into a triple, triple there because Dallas, Dallas's roster is – uh, has been talked about as the best roster in the, at least in the West. But Houston, I mean, Houston is looking it? so good. They are. Houston They're does kicking. look good. Their quarterback looks good, but you see their their point different, their total point differential right now. But da- but they also played their first game with their backup quarterback. So I mean, I have no say. You two duke it out. I say triple. I say double. Still. All right, Wyatt, close your eyes. Okay, eyes closed. I'm holding up a number one or two. Okay. If you get it right, you get the triples, you get the double. What? Okay, so if if I get it wrong, I get the double. Yeah. Which means that if I pick a two, which is a double, that means I might be I, uh, uh, two. You're right, you get a triple. You got a triple. Heck yeah. I think that's the best way we've ever determined I uh, like that down Probably. prediction value. Probably. Do we have anything from Josh this week? Uh, no, we do not. Josh Gee. says he might be done with predictions until baseball season gets rolling. So oh, rip. We'll have to he's see probably that. run out of sports. He's still alive right now. He is still alive. He's doing that's, well. Checked with him. So he's good. He bought a that's new couch. Good. Oh, so did I. Nice. Yeah. He probably didn't end up in the hospital, though. Oh, I did. But we're good now. That's good. So, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 8311 cast, episode 69, which I don't think we said enough in this podcast. I figured it would be much more mature, but that's fine, because we are the Midwest's premier Midwestern-based sports podcast. Uh, what about the West Coast premier Midwest-based sports podcast? And the East Coast. What about the East Central Midwest? <laughs> I give up. 
good episode, y'all. Okay, signing off for the 8311 cast. <laughs> I have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.